0: UConn Women's basketball podcast I'm Daniel Connolly here with Megan Gower and just before we get started we did a little something different with this show so we recorded our reactions to the South Carolina game immediately after the game pretty much I did it from my car in the parking lot outside Gamble so we're gonna start with that and then we're gonna go to a quick ad break and when we come back from that we're gonna have the rest of the episode which we recorded a day later so if it sounds funky, during the first segment. That's why, because I was doing it off my phone and didn't have my microphone. So with that, let's get into it. We're just going to get our immediate reactions to this unbelievable game out, and then obviously we'll have the rest of the show that you'll be listening to when you hear this, where we talk about everything else. But first, just, I mean, Paige Becker shot at the end with, for three with 10 seconds left. Hadn't hit a three all night. It was a one-point game that UConn lead the shot she launches up the shot at the buzzer. And I think the most incredible thing about it is like how she launched it, the way she was so off balanced and it just didn't look like a good shot. And yet when it hit the rim, I was still utterly shocked that it didn't go in just because of the way she had been playing up to that point. And then it goes literally higher than the shot clock and falls straight back down to earth through the cylinder. It was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean,
1: I feel like reminiscent of that three at the end of the Tennessee game, but just even more wild, I mean, obviously just kind of the exclamation point on what was already really, really good performance from her today in general. I mean, she carried the team to the win,
0: but just what a way to end the game for her. Right. I mean, after that Tennessee shot we were talking about, like that was one of the best shots since... We don't even know how long. One of the best plays since who knows how long. Well, that one stood up, what what has it been? Two weeks? Three <laughs> weeks? Like, she has two just unbelievably signature moments against two of UConn's contemporary. I mean, Tennessee has been UConn's contemporary. South Carolina, I think, would be, along with Baylor, the closest thing UConn has to a contemporary nowadays. So two moments against two teams and then obviously UConn didn't win at Arkansas but it was the same thing she was unconscious in that fourth quarter it was just every single time she shot I don't really think she got a good shot in the fourth quarter but she still made her last five shots she scored all nine of UConn's points in overtime I think she scored UConn's last 13 points total so Don Staley made a comment after the game like yeah well we did a pretty good job on everyone except Beckers like right except Paige won the game like what at what point does it matter if you did a good job on everyone else, but you didn't shut down the one who actually won you the game? It was just she's a it's just unbelievable that she's still a freshman and she's doing these type of things.
1: Exactly. I mean, that would have been, like, Gino being, like, we did a good job on everyone, but Chelsea turned in the Arkansas game. <laughs> like, it doesn't really matter if you guarded everyone else well, if you still lose, because someone goes off for 30-plus points. Um, but, yeah, I mean, she was just unbelievable, especially down the stretch there, but really all game long, even though her shots weren't falling, she just she finds ways to impact the game in other ways, too. I mean, she finishes with five assists as well, four rebounds, six steals, so some big big time plays on the defensive end as well. i mean, just overall phenomenal game from her. No surprise. I guess I thought if UConn was going to win this, it was going to be behind
0: a big night from Paige Beckers, but really just an incredible performance from the freshman. And the fact that she hadn't hit a three-pointer the entire game, you just knew, especially once that game got into overtime. I mean, I have no idea how South Carolina didn't put any of those shots they had at the end of regulation. And I thought for sure Leah Boston's, Back, I think there were like I think it was the last shot there was like 0.2 seconds left when she got rid of it I thought for sure that was going in that was going to be the end of the game and the defining thing of the game was going to be uh, South Carolina wins at the buzzer UConn loses another game in overtime at the buzzer but somehow the ball just doesn't go in and yeah Paige saves her only three-pointer for the biggest moment of the game three three three-pointers all night it was just such a It was such a terrible game, but I don't know. Maybe it was just because I was there. It was so entertaining to watch. I never felt like, "Oh God, this is terrible." Like I did, but it was. I thought it was entertaining throughout, regardless.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was incredibly ugly. I mean, final points total pretty much tells you that but I thought it was I mean it was back and forth all game neither team ever had a double digit lead it just it was it was still fun to watch even though it was yeah very very ugly basketball I mean I think South Carolina had 21 turnovers UConn had 17 but just a lot of kind of slappiness messiness I mean somewhat credit to obviously team's defense was very good but as sloppy and ugly as it was it was still a lot of fun to watch
0: right well and also those that many turnovers but both teams had critical turnovers at the end of regulation South Carolina Mm -hmm. had a chance to at least go ahead with I think it was like an 11 second difference between the shot clock and game clock it was somewhere around there and they turn it over immediately on the inbounds and then UConn gets it they have a chance to also put up one of the last shots of the game they turn it over on a a weird pass. It kind of looked like Avina Westbrook could have gotten to it, but then she slipped or something. It was a very weird play. Then obviously South Carolina gets that sequence at the end, but just, it was such a crazy game with everything that led up to overtime, everything that then happened in overtime with the shot and everything else. And then just on top of it, the fact that UConn hadn't won an overtime game since 2004 and granted they haven't had a whole lot, but I, 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 the media guide used to list what games they had played in overtime. And in the two or three minutes, whatever it was between regulation and overtime, I couldn't look through quick enough to find it, but I knew it was that 2004 game against USF. So I think it was somewhere around 10 games that they had played in overtime and they had lost all of them. So it wasn't some small amount that really kind of was skewed by it being a long distance. UConn really struggled in overtime. And I think that's a big weight for them to get off their back as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was still sloppy down the stretch, but to have someone like Paige and then just like step it up in that final period and be able to get the win, I think is huge for them. Especially when, you know, they can go into that too with Nelson Dodo's in foul trouble. So you've got, and I believe um, Edwards was in foul trouble at that point too. So you've got players in foul trouble. You're, it's a close game. You've been struggling to shoot it all night and then to still come up with the win, I think was a big, a big thing for them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And just I think to kind of cap off this point, Paige Becker's last four games, 27 points against Arkansas, who's ranked career high, what was it 34 points against DePaul, who's also ranked, then she goes for 31 against Marquette, who's probably going to go to the NCAA tournament. And then she has this performance tonight over 30 points. Again, the first freshman in UConn's history with three 30 point games against the number one team in the country. We're just running out of words for what she's doing and how unbelievable she is. And Gino even admitted it after the game. He said, she's just one of those players that people are going to go, oh yeah, she's that player at UConn. And you know exactly what they mean. It's She's, what is it, 16 games into her college basketball career, maybe not even that many. And she has already been one of the best players in the country and already has these signature moments. It's just, honestly, it's beyond words at this point.
1: Yeah, exactly. 15 games into her career, three straight 30 point games. I believe I saw a tweet that I was the first player ever in Yukon history to score 30 plus points in three straight games. So not even just freshman first UConn player, which isn't just, it's like, it's hard to even comprehend. And then of course, like for anyone that wanted to argue that it's about who she's playing in the big East or whatever, she puts up 31 on the number one team in the country. So I think it's pretty clear that she's playing like one of the best, if not the best player in the country right now.
0: I actually had no idea that this stat was three by any player in UConn history. I missed that with all the chaos in the post game that, Again, it's just incredible that <laughs> the, all the players that UConn's had, Diana Tarasi, Sue Bird, Rebecca Lobo, Svetlana Abrasamova, Brianna Stewart, obviously, Maya Moore, Tina Charles, Nafisa Collier. Like, you could go on and on and on. Nobody has ever scored 30 points in three straight games. And... I think the fact that it was against good teams helps because otherwise she probably wouldn't have been in the game. Like those 100 to 28 wins that UConn would register over AAC teams, the starters would be on the bench midway through the third quarter. So it's tough to get that, but still, it's just the fact that it has come against, I mean, obviously number one tonight, but even two NCAA tournament bound teams, the last two games. Yeah. You can't make an argument that it's the opposition because she's just, she's so good regardless of who she plays it's almost like when the moment is the biggest and the spotlights are the brightest and the opponent is the toughest she just gets better it's not like nothing i have ever seen before and i covered the last year the brianna stewart era it's i'm just at a complete loss for words really
1: exactly yeah i just i don't know how to describe it anymore even though, like it's just she puts this entire team on her back today. She scores basically half of UConn's points, and it's against like the number one team in the country. Like I, I I've also had a lust for words. She's just so good. I, just, <laughs> I don't think like there's just nothing to compare it to. Who do you compare it to? I don't know.
0: <laughs> no, no one. You can't. That you literally cannot compare her to anyone anymore. And I think it's so disappointing that it's coming. In this season, I mean, I can't imagine what the reaction would have been at Gamble from when that shot went up in the air off the rim. Like Gamble would have gone dead silent. And when it went back through, I honestly don't know if Gamble is structurally sound enough to have (laughs) survived whatever that it would have measured on the Richter scale at Yukon's Geological Center here. It would have been one of the most unbelievable crowd reactions i think you ever would have heard and then also just because she's not going to get a full season to go at any of these records because at the way she's scoring like she has a legitimate chance to make some at least get into the record books in some spots and she's not going to be able to get any of those total of anything assists points anything like that just because of how short the season is going to be but just one other point that is a little unrelated, but I think this UConn team just has such a toughness and a grittiness to them that they really haven't had. Even in the Arkansas loss, they played tough until the end, and really just it was a couple of plays went the other way, and they lost. And then Tennessee, the same thing. They battled that one out in the end, and then a couple of plays went their way in the end. And then tonight, the same thing. They battled the entire time, and it's just one play here, one play there, and that's how it goes so regardless of the results UConn has just been really impressive with how tough and how resilient they've been and that's also something new that we haven't really seen much in the past
1: yeah I would agree with that and I have, I feel like the freshmen are a big part of that I think I mean Nika Mules like doesn't it didn't really come across in the box score so much today but her the, The attitude and the like energy that she brings on the court is so gritty and she's great defensively, but she just also just has this attitude about her. Uh, It's like not really easy to put into words, but I think you kind of see it today. And that was a big piece of why they got this win as well. So I think it's kind of there's been a bit of a shift in the identity since we what we've seen the last couple of seasons and I think it's making them a lot better.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's a good shout out on Nico Mule's performance because she was really, really good tonight, I thought. And especially early in that game, she had like three steals Mm -hmm. right off the bat. And those turnovers that they forced in the beginning of the game were huge considering how bad they shot in that first quarter. So I think just the prospect of what this team can do in the postseason is very exciting because as long as they have Paige Beckers, I think they're going to be really, really hard to beat. And that just got proved even further tonight.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I would have never imagined that they would have even had a chance in this game, making only two three-pointers. I would have thought that, you know, (laughs) South Carolina is going to win this battle in the paint. They've got to hit shots from deep to, like, get the win here. And the reason that they do get it is largely because of Paige Beckers is just able to put this team on her back. And I think that's a scary thought for any team kind of looking at if UConn's going to be on their side of the bracket heading into March because... Packers is going to continue to do that and she's only going to get better she's 15 games into her career I think that's what makes it even scarier is you're talking about a freshman that's 15 games into her career there's only there's only going up
0: I think it's honestly at this point going to be an upset if she doesn't win national player of the year with the way she's ascending so just incredible yeah exactly
1: Um, I mean I thought she had an argument for that award going into today and I think today just kind of affirms that she is definitely on the short list for that
0: Absolutely. Uh, do you have any last takes to get out?
1: I thought Aubrey Griffin played extremely well today as well. She didn't play a ton of minutes, but I thought defensively what she did for this team kind of disrupting it. Like she always does she was huge on the glass for UConn. And then she had three blocks, which was the same number of blocks yeah. that Aliyah Boston had. So not as yeah. that I would have thought we would have been saying, but huge
0: defensive impact from Aubrey Griffin today as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, we are going to wrap up this instant reaction here, but well continue listening. We're going to go to a quick ad break, but when we come back, we're going to have more of a breakdown of UConn's win over Marquette. We're also going to dive a little deeper into this win over South Carolina beyond just Paige Beckers and some of our instant reactions here. So we'll be right back. We are back, so it may have only been 30 seconds or a minute in podcast time, but we've actually jumped ahead about 24 hours in real time as we're recording this. So we've had about a day to digest the South Carolina game, have a little more perspective on the win. So something that we didn't talk about last night that we feel is very necessary based on some of the things we've talked about on this show in the past, especially in regards to South Carolina. So after the game, Dawn Staley has her Zoom press conference. Her first answer, she immediately says,
1: and I, I, I will say this, and it's, it's no excuses, but playing with the Nike ball is a lot different than playing with the Wilson ball. You know, our guards never made the adjustment of playing with it. You got to dribble less or you got you to pound it in in the floor a lot more for it to come back.
0: If that's just not the most Pete Don Staley thing to do in the immediate aftermath of a loss is blame something so incredibly obscure as playing with different basketballs, then I don't know what else could be.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just like, why would anyone say that? I, I just still can't believe that she said that. And then someone like kind of asked her on Twitter, like, can you do you practice with Nike balls? Like, and then she <laughs> <laughs> says that they do practice with Nike balls sometimes and kind of backpedals on it being like, by no means did I say we lost because of the ball and mishandling the ball like we did tonight is uncharacteristic unchar- of our play. And then she, but then she like doubles back down on it, being like, I can keep it simple. But if you want the game within the game, I gave more turnovers play like a part. So she like goes back to blaming the turnovers on the basketball, which is just, I, I just don't understand. I'm like, there who plenty of things you could blame it on, but like to blame it on the basketball, come on. <laughs>
0: it's so bad and then the fact that she even admits that they practice they can practice with Nike balls like okay, so you clearly just didn't give your team enough preparation leading up to this game. but also, I have never in the history of basketball heard a coach say that the difference in the brand of balls it like has any impact on the game. And Chloe Pavlek mentioned during the game on Twitter that the balls looked like the type that you can jam a finger on. And I think she was implying that they were a little overinflated, which I think is like a completely different thing than just playing with a different type of ball. And maybe Don Staley misinterpreted that as it being a Nike ball instead of it being overinflated. But at the same time, UConn was playing with the exact same ball. And when UConn went down to South Carolina last year, can you imagine if Gino went yeah, well, we only scored two points in the first quarter because we're not used to playing with a Wilson ball, and I think that really affected us. Like, he would have been absolutely, justifiably, he would have been absolutely crucified for saying such a thing. And my favorite part is how she leads it off by going, you know, I'm not making any excuses. Just because you, like, use that as a preface does not mean whatever comes next is not an excuse. Ah, well... Uh, Megan I'm sorry that I forgot to edit the podcast but I'm not making any excuses but you know what I just didn't do it like no that's literally exactly what an excuse is and it's one thing if I don't actually buy that this is her this is what actually happened but if she is yes trying to give a game within a game I think maybe that's something that you mentioned later on in your press conference you go yeah well we had a lot of turnovers and I think it's an adjustment when I don't think we prepared well enough with a Nike ball and our guards didn't do a good enough job adjusting to it. And I think that played a factor, but obviously it isn't the reason we lost the game, but the fact that she led off with it. And I don't even think the question was really that close to being connected to it. That tells you that it was on her mind. And also the thing that I go back to is that if South Carolina wins this game. Like if they put any of those shots in at the end, which also I'm pretty sure they came up short on every single one of those rebounds at the buzzer. So I don't know what the ball has to do with the ball with not shooting it hard enough, but if South Carolina wins in that moment, do you think Dawn Staley mentions the balls once in her post-game press conference? Absolutely not. It doesn't even come up. I don't even think it crosses her mind. It's just such a ridiculous excuse to use. And then it's just so much worse that she tries to double down on it.
1: Exactly. I just, like, it's, I can't, I still can't believe that, I, like, that's what came out of her mouth at the end of the game. It's, like, it's kind of babbling and like you said, I've literally never heard anyone talk about different types of balls being used in college basketball before, and I'm sure there's many schools that use Nike balls and many schools that use the Wilson ball, so it's clearly just not something that people typically blame losing games on, so um, yeah, interesting, like you said, I mean, if Gino came out and said that, like, I can only imagine what people say. People are literally still up in arms about him calling people dummies after the Baylor <laughs> game. It, it, I literally saw people on Twitter where like people were asking about Staley talking about the balls being like, "Well, you're called being the dummies." And I'm like, "We're still talking about that." And, like he came out and was like, "Yeah, we lost the game because the ball was a different ball." People would never, you would never get the end of it.
0: Yeah, I, I have been trying to think of it over like the the last day. I don't remember what game it was, but one of the games that I covered with Dawn Staley were against South Carolina. I feel like she made a very similar type of comment in the sense of like an excuse that definitely was an excuse that she tried to play off as not an excuse. I can't remember. Oh man, I really wish that I could remember what it was, but actually, well, I'm looking for it right now. And I would just like to point out a couple other Don Staley highlights. (laughs) I don't remember when UConn played South Carolina in the 2018 Elite Eight. And after the game, Don Staley has this comment, which to this day, I still don't understand. This is actually before the Elite Eight game. She goes, I was walking out after scouting UConn on Sunday, and I guess a UConn fan, he started yelling at me like, you're next Monday, and giving me a thumbs up. I actually thought it was a Gamecock fan, and I turned and almost gave him a thumbs up. So I don't know why this came to me, but this came to me. I said, on Monday, you're going to believe there's a God, and that's what we're going with. I believe Yukon won that game by like 20 points. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. I got that game as a fan. I remember it. It wasn't even
0: close. <laughs> I, I I mean, like, I wouldn't blame Don Staley if she never wants to talk to me, because I wouldn't want to talk to me if I was just any other human on earth, especially Don Staley. But I would one day just very, 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 very much like to ask Don Staley what she meant. Okay, it was a 29-point win by Yukon. I just I, I don't understand what. She meant absolutely incredible, and then also there's another one. What was it? Oh, after that Elite Eight game, she had this really kind of whiny comment because that was the year after South Carolina had won their national championship, and UConn beats them. And on the post game press conference, she says something like, "Well, UConn wins. UConn's in the Final Four, and all is right in the world." Like it was just. It was just such a sore loser type comment that it was like, okay, come on, Don, like, don't do these things. And we won't call you out for them. Like Don Staley is a good basketball coach, but she just does so much other crap outside of basketball that it's just so hard to take her seriously sometimes.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, no one's going to question her coaching record. Obviously, she's built South Carolina into one a program that's been pretty good, That's great for the last few seasons. Um, I mean, Asia Wilson and now the classes that she has coming in, they've been consistently good. But yeah, when you say things like that, it's just, I just don't understand, like, why you think it's a good idea to say things like that. I mean, her two 19-year-old sophomores answered questions better than blaming it on the ball yesterday. Just don't say things like
0: that and then no one will um, have an (laughs) issue right and then it's also things like that that just like it would be one thing I I still think I would criticize it but like if Kelly Graves came out and said like well I really feel like we should deserve we deserve some honor uh because this postseason was canceled because of everything that Sabrina and everyone else on our team had done these last few years to get us to this point. And I think it's a shame that we didn't get a chance to compete for the national championship, but like, just the fact that it comes from Dawn Staley, her more or less begging for that national championship trophy that she didn't earn. And then, I mean, I thought we should take the high road and not mention this earlier on a podcast, but the fact that they put up a friggin' banner for (laughs) finishing first in the AP poll at the end of the season, like, Again, these are just not things that winning programs do. You will never have a
1: national championship banner. Why are you hanging that banner?
0: (laughs) It was the exact same size and right next to the national championship banner too, which tells you everything you need to know about it. It had just the ultimate vibes of that Colts AFC finalist banner that they hung up after the (laughs) Patriots dropped them like 45 to 10 in the AFC championship game back in 2014. Like, These are not things that winning programs do uconn's mentions of even the final fours they've been to are these tiny little years on boards in Gamble pavilion they have nothing that mentions where they finished in polls everything that they have on there displayed in Gamble, is actual results it's conference championships it's obviously the national championship banners but then they have the ncaa tournaments they've made it's just listed the elite eights final fours all those type of things they're listed but they're not obviously on any grand scale compared to the national championship banners, the national championship banners are the largest thing in that arena. And that shows you that that is the ultimate prize. So you're not only embarrassing yourself by making it the same size as your national championship banner. You're also inherently taking value away from that national championship that you won by taking, by using this thing that is just so much not a national championship and so much less difficult to win and comparing the two to each other. It's just so such a bad look.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you couldn't put a banner every time I finished number one in the AP poll, there'd be no room left on the ceiling and camp like, I don't know where they would hang them, but it's just it's silly, right? Like, you win the national championship. There was no national championship last year, no one won it. Yeah, it sucks, but it is what it is. <laughs> like don't hang a banner for being number one. Everyone knows that's not the same as winning a national championship. I feel like you can just let it go, but like, I just, yeah, act like you've been there
0: <laughs> for just peak timing. I just got a message from Dan Madigan, our fellow editor at the Yukon blog, and he he said, you should add in what type of ball is being used for each game in your preview. <laughs> oh, it's just, come on, you, you just can't do that. It is just so completely ridiculous. But anyways, to move on back to the game, now that we have that out of, out of our system, to kind of get back at some of the things that we didn't cover last night, I think one of the big things, we we can't remember if we actually covered this, so apologies if we're going over it again, but Avina Westbrook really didn't play a whole lot. She only played 24 minutes and only 19 in regulation. It was her second fewest minutes of the season, and that's a little skewed by the fact that she played an entire overtime period where she did not in her previous two low games. I don't think it was a benching, though, because if you look at where she played, she played the entire first quarter, but then... She only plays the final two minutes, uh, she plays a little bit in the other quarters, obviously, but she doesn't she sits for almost the entire fourth quarter, but goes in with two minutes left and then plays all of overtime. So Gino very clearly had her in for the most critical moments of the game, but he didn't play her that much throughout. And she just seems to have been a little off these last two games. And he made this very cryptic comment. Avena's going to do as much as she can, given where she is health-wise, which is a very weird thing to say, considering she's someone who's had health problems in the past with those knees. And then when he was asked about it later, he kind of brushed it off under the scope of like, Oh, well, we're dealing with a bunch of injuries. Everyone in the country is dealing with a bunch of injuries, but I think it's kind of concerning that it's even a possibility that even brings it up and that she doesn't play a whole lot of minutes and I feel like we're going to get a much clearer picture of what's going on with Seton Hall coming up on Wednesday.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens tomorrow with, um, you know, how much she plays against Seton Hall. And I guess we, we really don't know at this point. Like, it sounds like obviously something's going on with her injury. We don't know how much it is. You know, maybe it's enough that, like, Aubrey sets out that Marquette game last week and then is able to play and come in and really make an impact in the South Carolina game, so maybe that's what Avina needs. Maybe she just needs a game off, but I think we'll get a better idea if we see some of her on Wednesday. If we don't see her at all, obviously that'll be a topic of conversation after the game, so hopefully we get some more clarity on that tomorrow, but I think if she is, you know, if it is more than just needing a a game off, it's it's a blow for this team. She's been
0: kind of – she does something different every game, but she's consistently filling a big role for this team. Right. I think up until these last couple of games where she's kind of tailed off, I think she had been UConn's most competitive player or not competitive, consistent player throughout the entire season. And yeah, I think she's a very, very big part of this team. Maybe you try and give her some minutes against Seton Hall, but I think it would be perfectly acceptable to bench her against Georgetown just because Georgetown's terrible. And UConn could start Sailor Poff and Bard- Barger, Autumn Chasson, P.F. Gabriel, and then two managers, and they would probably beat Georgetown by at least 15 points. So you, you also have a pretty, not a sizable gap, but I think you have five days off after the Georgetown game, so if you play her tomorrow against Seton Hall, you give her basically a whole week off to rest up, and I think that would, I mean, that gap is going to be huge for this entire team with how many Things they're dealing with, but especially for Avina, yeah, I think it would make sense to give her some time off, or even just player reduced minutes. I think in general, Gino should try and play the bench a lot more these next two games. Although Seton Hall's a tougher opponent, I still think they should shouldn't have much trouble with them. But Paige played forty-five minutes. I think Kristen's played over thirty minutes in each of these last few games. Ali played thirty minutes in two of the last three games. Olivia's played over thirty minutes. These are a lot of minutes and they've played four games in eight days after Seton Hall. And that's going to be five days, five games in 10 days after Georgetown. So you don't want to overwork players, especially with how compact the schedule is and how compact it's going to be the rest of the season. So I think the biggest thing these next two games, aside from obviously getting the win is seeing if you can mix in more bench players. And I, I mean, they don't have a huge bench right now with, on a Makarot out, but if you can at least balance out the minutes more and not have Paige playing 35 minutes and maybe have her closer to 25, not only does that take a lot less off of a lot off her legs, it also gives other players a chance to shine. It gives Nico Buell more of a solo opportunity to maybe score some more points or give, depending on her health status. Aubrey Griffin, a more extended run, or even Muir McLean, a more extended run. I think it would be really fun to see what Muir McLean could do with a good amount of minutes. Cause she didn't play, I don't think against South Carolina yesterday and she, even when she does play, she doesn't get a whole lot of minutes. So, and also I'd like to see sailor Poffenbarger get a good run. Just, I think it would be good to get her feet wet. So, I think these two games coming up would be really good opportunities to mix in the bench more and just give these players experience, because I think that's a big thing right now is obviously they all look really good, but they're just going to get better and better with experience.
1: Yeah, exactly. And especially when you look to a Friday's game where that should just kind of be easy for them to, you kind of cruise through, give some of these other players experience, give, I mean, you mentioned that pretty much everyone is banged up. So give some of these players that have played a ton of minutes over the last two weeks, A break because you've got more coming and I mean obviously now they've got their sights set on March and you don't want you want to deal with these things before you get there so anything that they can kind of do while they've got some bigger breaks or easier opponents over the next few weeks they should be kind of taking advantage of to to get the team healthy before
0: the tournament starts. Yeah and I think another factor in that is they are basically almost exclusively on the road for the rest of the season. So I think there's still a couple games that haven't been added to the schedule off the top of my head. I think it's away at Providence and home against Villanova. Those two are still kind of floating up in the air after they got postponed earlier in the year. But UConn plays at home against Eaton Hall on Wednesday, and they close the season against Marquette after that. And then in between that they play five straight games on the road and three of those, at least, I don't know if they fly to Georgetown or not, especially during COVID, but at least three of those are pretty decent flights to Xavier Creighton and Butler. So I think even if it's not necessarily the same as the toll that playing games and practicing will take on players, just the fact that you have to sit in an airplane and it's, not as great of an opportunity to rest. That's a lot of time that gets eaten up total in transit and everything like that, that you don't get in recovery. So health is going to be a really, really important factor going down the stretch and considering the opponents, that's probably going to be the more important thing in these games.
1: Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's, it's just, when you look at the rest of the schedule, I mean, they've got a game at home versus Marquette, but it's a lot of the easier teams and the biggies that they've got coming up. So I think as you can take those opponents with a little bit of rest and just get this team healthier before March, that's a a huge advantage.
0: Yeah, for sure. So to get back to the South Carolina game a little bit, I think we should talk about Aaliyah Edwards because Mm -hmm. she has, I thought she played very, very well against South Carolina, even if the stats don't necessarily do it justice, but even just the fact that she didn't foul out, I mean, she was fouling like it was her job even just a couple of weeks ago, and now she stayed in the game without having really too much foul trouble and held her own against one of the better front courts in the country.
1: Yeah, I thought she was fantastic last night. Like you said, it doesn't necessarily really show up in the box, score eight points, five rebounds, two assists, but I mean, I thought she did a really nice job on both ends of the floor, especially defensively on I mean, Aaliyah Boston some there. Um I mean, Aaliyah Boston is a A really really good player and I mean she still gets 17 and 15 but it could have been a lot worse for UConn so I I thought her defensive presence made a big impact there I I
0: was impressed with her also just to half segue into our next topic which is the juniors I really didn't think Aaliyah Boston dominated UConn I obviously she had 15 points and 16 rebounds which is a lot but it never felt like she was just totally controlling the game. UConn made her work to get her points. I think a lot of her rebounds were just using her size and being taller than everyone else around her to get it. And then maybe it was just what I was noticing, but it did feel like there were a handful of rebounds on the offensive glass that South Carolina got that UConn was in good position and the ball just took a bounce and landed like straight with South Carolina, which happens, but I, Really thought UConn kind of held its own in the paint and didn't allow itself to get bullied by Aaliyah Boston, which I think a lot of credit does go to Aaliyah Edwards.
1: Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I think, I mean, the points in the paint ended up being pretty even. I think South Carolina only had you come beat in in points in the paint by two or four points, nothing significant. The rebounding edge did end up like very much in South Carolina's favor, but I feel like it wasn't like that until the last quarter of the game, up to three quarters in, I want to say. If they, South Carolina was only like plus four, plus five on the boards, nothing significant. I mean, that last play where they got like four of their own offensive rebounds and couldn't put it in certainly adds to that rebound margin. But um, in, in general, I don't think that UConn, I expected them to kind of get dominated in the paint and make up for it with the guards. And I don't think that was the case.
0: Right. And I also do think Olivia nelson adota gets some degree of credit. This definitely was not her best game at UConn. But as opposed to some of her past performance, I don't think she got dominated. She wasn't great, but she didn't hurt the team, at least offensively. I thought she was more or less, at worst, completely neutral on defense and did enough on Aliyah Boston. And then on offense, she didn't score a ton of points, but she was absolutely fantastic passing the ball. There were more than a few times where she ran the offense through the high post, made some really nice passes inside, and she finished with... a team high six assists I mean Paige Beckers only had five assists so she had a very very good game on offense even though she had as many assists as points so she contributed to more points with her passing than she did scoring herself so I think there are some criticisms like she really shouldn't be taking that outside shot a whole lot and the reason that she's getting that shot so much is because she's not making it and she needs to work inside more but for the most part on offense she at least contributed something which is more than what she had done in the past against some of these top teams
1: yeah and I think her facilitating at offense was a huge part of UConn's success last night because you had Olivia Boston inside so you've got a shot blocker there but if you've got Olivia inside as well it draws the defense in a little bit and then she's able to pass back out and get some you know open mid-range jumpers for Paige and other looks like that that are going to be harder for a player like Boston to block. So I I thought that was a really big part of UConn's success last night. She didn't have a ton of points, but what she did offensively in terms of facilitating and passing was really good.
0: To then go to her classmate, Kristen Williams. I don't remember, did we make predictions for this game on the last podcast? Not only was the last podcast, at least it felt like it was roughly two years ago. It was also (laughs) late at night, so it really doesn't serve memory well. Did we make predictions on the game? During that?
1: I don't think we really made
0: predictions, if I'm remembering uh, well, right. I think I told someone that I thought Kristen Williams was going to have a huge performance against South Carolina. That one didn't work out so well. So she only finished with six points as well. She went three from 11 from the field and only took two three pointers. So she was missing a lot of shots from inside the arc. We've talked about her just at length on this podcast, but it seems like for every step forward she takes, if it's not two steps back, it's at least one step back to where she was. And she just can't be scoring six points in against the number one team in the country. She can't shoot three for 11. That's just, these are things that should have happened last season and her freshman year. But as a junior, she's supposed to be one of the best players on the team. And right now I don't even know if she's one of the top five players on the team, which I think is pretty remarkable. And, also just shows you how good the freshmen are that UConn was able to win this game despite Kristen Williams scoring only six points and being more or less a non-factor.
1: Yeah exactly I thought she was going to get going in the second half I think it was like the third quarter she had a couple nice buckets and I was like okay maybe you know she just struggled with her shot the first half but then she kind of disappeared again and I don't know I feel like like you said I mean the freshmen stepped up and UConn gets the win but she's the type of player that you, you need to have a big performance in this game. Can't come down to Paige scoring 31 points, right? Or, well, like it did work, but that, that shouldn't be what it needs to be done to get the game. And need a player like her to step it up a little bit more. I mean, had she scored more than six points, the UConn kind of probably would have had a little bit easier time getting the win here. But it's we saw a couple of really good games from her and now it feels like she's kind of back to where we're like,
0: we need to see more from Kristen. Right, I mean, if... Williams contributes even double her point total. I mean, I hate playing the what if game after games. I mean, there was, I saw a tweet after the game that was like, well, if South Carolina made their layups and didn't turn the ball over and actually made more free throws, they would have won. And it's like, yes, obviously that is how basketball works. (laughs) If
1: the team made more shots, they would have won.
0: Yes. (laughs) Well, I, I I'm hearing from a source that if South Carolina outscored UConn on Monday night, they actually would have gotten the win, which I, I, I have to confirm that with someone. I, so that's just hearsay, but like, yeah, I just, I've, because of that, I hate like playing these if games, but yes, it's very easy to imagine this game going very differently. And it honestly, maybe even being an easy, maybe not easy, but less, maybe the game doesn't go into overtime and it doesn't come down to a final possession if Kristen Williams has even an average night, it's just, she's such an enigma and I still think eventually she's going to figure it out. And, you know, maybe she's just not bound to be a superstar and an all American and she's just going to be a really good player, but she still is not a really good player right now. And I think Liv is probably the X factor right now. That is going to be the main difference between UConn, having a chance to win the national championship at the very least and not, but I think Kristen Williams might is probably not one B, but a very, very close second in that regard, because if she's playing at, at least a consistently good level, instead of a high level to a low level, that makes you very different combined with how well Paige is playing. I just, I don't think Paige is going to hit any wall or, have any major setbacks this season she's just completely different and the way that the freshmen have developed this year and even the way Aubrey Griffin has looked over these last few weeks so Olivia Nelson-Adota I really feel is the x-factor and is a player that could probably take UConn's chances from being in the mix to being the favorite but Kristen Williams is right there with that too
1: Yeah, I would agree with that if they can get the juniors to be more consistent and just step it up a little bit, I mean, I think we've talked about that no one's that great this year, so becoming the favorite is maybe not the hardest thing in the world to do, but I think one of the two of them or both of them kind of stepping it up
0: gives them a really good shot at being a favorite for the national title. Right, so it'll be interesting to see how, I mean, Olivia Nelson, I think they both scored like 21 points last time they played Seton Hall so obviously a little bit of a different Seton Hall team but it'll be interesting to see how both of them bounce back and continue to like just how the season continues to progress for both of them moving on we actually got some ratings from the game last night and I don't know if it's I don't think it's very surprising but there were 61,000 an average of 61,000 viewers for the game which makes it the most watched women's basketball game in FS1 history, which I think kind of comes back to our point from last week that UConn was the first game on women's basketball game on Fox, which was kind of presented as an accomplishment and doesn't necessarily feel like an accomplishment. This kind of <laughs> seems to fall in the same category where that's great, but is it? They also mentioned that it rate, the ratings were better than the men's basketball game that followed, which Again, I feel like it should have, considering the size of UConn's fan base. And it was some really weird matchup after, right? It was like Ohio yeah, was like, State and yeah. someone.
1: Yeah, some random so. Big Ten game that no one
0: cares about. Well, not no one right, cares so, about,
1: but like. <laughs>
0: yeah, obviously <laughs> the biggest. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, not a number one versus number two games. So. <laughs> right. And especially UConn Women's Basketball, like such a huge national brand. I mean, women's basketball games on SNY almost routinely outdraw local NBA games. So not only is the local draw huge, like the national draw is huge. So yes, I th- I think it's not weird that it outdrew the men's basketball game after. And the the rating should be good and also Fox Sports really should probably be doing a better job. And it's a little weird that UConn doesn't have that many games on FS1, which I think works out better for UConn fans because just, I didn't watch the game, but just from what I've heard, SNY runs a much better broadcast. So I think that honestly benefits people more, but as far as I know, I think that's the only FS1 game that UConn plays this year. And obviously they also have the Fox game, but Fox just inherited basically the biggest women's basketball brand in the country and they don't really seem to be doing anything with it, which is just kind of bizarre.
1: Yeah. Agreed. I just like why not put some of those games on national television? Like SMY is great and this, especially for fans. I mean, the coverage that SMY does just exceeds anything else. It exceeds what's on even ESPN's coverage for women's basketball is fantastic. And SNY just exceeds that. And just the amount of programming that they do around the women's team because they're dedicated to it. But Fox Sports 1 is still a national television channel. You would think they would try to be capitalizing on putting at least some of these games on national TV. There's not that much else going on that's on Fox Sports 1. So, yeah, it's a little bit disappointing to see that they haven't tried to take advantage of that a little bit more.
0: Right. Like, you know how often I'll, like, turn on the TV and Fox Sports 1 just happens to be on from having watched either, like, a soccer game or a men's basketball game? and they have like bull riding or like (laughs) car shows or just very like obscure sports going on. Like, okay, sure. They obviously have contracts to play those, but I cannot imagine that those have better ratings than UConn women's basketball. There's just absolutely no chance. And it's just weird that, Fox doesn't seem to want to capitalize that. And I don't know, does, I wonder if that has anything to do with the fact that games on SNY go through the Fox sports app. So Fox is still benefiting from it in that regard, which puts less pressure on them to show games on TV, but it's just either way, it's still kind of weird.
1: Yeah, exactly. But there still has to be like a national audience that you're missing by putting it on something that you have to like know that you need to go stream on an app. No one's clicking on the TV and being like, oh, let me watch this. And I feel like they're especially missing out because Paige Beckers has kind of become like, I mean, she was trending on Twitter last night. She's got some national recognition that people might turn into the TV to watch Paige. I had literally two people at work, one from Chicago, one from Minneapolis, ping me today to talk about Paige Beckers. (laughs) So I I feel like they're missing out on capitalizing on the fact that she's so good and people are talking about her and want to see what the hype is all about.
0: Right. And we talked about that. Paige Beckers is probably the most hyped high school prospect ever ever. And I think in the age of social media, you think of Diana Taurasi was obviously way before all of that. Maya Moore, her career was kind of right at the beginning. Brianna Stewart, it it was there, but I don't think it was where it is today. Paige Beckers is just absolutely in the middle of this. And with how easy it is to share videos on Twitter and everything like that, the second her shot went in, there were thousands of people seeing that on Twitter. The second it went out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everywhere. And yeah, page trending on Twitter was like, it was one of those things that it's like, oh, that's cool. But also that's not surprising at all. Like Yukon's SID, Anna Labonte, she tweeted like, yeah, what else is anyone tweeting about tonight besides Paige? And it's like, yeah, like the absolute great point. Like I can't imagine anything other than Paige. And I had some people like you mentioned, obviously I didn't have like co-workers from different states, completely unrelated to UConn, messaging me. But even people that I know don't follow UConn women's basketball very closely messaged me and were like, wow, Paige Becker shot. That was unbelievable. It was, she is just already such a phenomenon. And to reiterate the point we made last night, she is 15 games into her college career, which is absurd.
1: It's it's just insane. it's, <laughs> It's, it's, I mean, we said this last night and I still don't really have the words for it it's just it's remarkable what she's been doing and she just keeps getting better somehow so I mean March is gonna be a lot of fun
0: there is the stat I was watching SportsCenter this morning and like SportsCenter you, you know the state the uh the studio that they have like wait, kind of in the background they had like photos of all the headlines and if I'm remembering right there was LeBron James Draymond Green, probably like Tom Brady or someone from the Bucs from the Super Bowl, And then Paige Beckers, she was one of four people listed there. I think they went to like an NBA game initially for their first highlights. And then the Yukon game was like immediately after, and they had page quotes after, and I think Nika Mule was on it and they showed her highlight like the highlights and talked about it. And that's ESPN who didn't even have the game even they're getting in on the Paige Becker's hype. So it, I think it's just going to get bigger and bigger. And it's just scary to think how good that she could be because no one has ever been this good as a freshman at UConn, not Brianna Stewart. Maya Moore is the closest one. And I don't even think she's particularly close at this point. And Diana Taurasi was way more up and down than Paige was as a freshman to kind of underscore this point. I was looking up her last five games for the story I wrote this morning and I was looking and she had 22 points against DePaul and my initial thought without like the, just the first thing that hit my head without me thinking about it was wow, she really didn't have that great of a game against DePaul and she scored 22 points. Like it is just, it's just such a ridiculous expectation. I have subconscious subconsciously set for her that if she scores any less than like 25 points from now on, it's somehow going to be a bad game for her, which is, ridiculous considering everything else we've talked about with this team and obviously what we've seen the last few years from UConn so she is just unlike anyone else she really really is just without comparison and we are very lucky that we are covering UConn while she's at the on the team
1: yeah exactly I mean she's just been absolutely insane so I'm excited to see what she's going to do if she can't leave to go pro for at least two more seasons.
0: So it's going to be fun. That honestly sucks. Like I'm, I'm very much for players being able to leave early, but selfishly, <laughs> it just sucks that there's a chance that she can leave early because she's so good. And because it's such a shortened season, she's not gonna, I think it's going to be, it would be very hard for her to go for program records. Like I don't think she could get, to the 3000 point mark, like Maya Moore, because that would more or less mean that she has to score a thousand points in at least like two of those seasons down the road if she doesn't leave early, which also just kind of shows you how ridiculously good Maya Moore was. (laughs) But it's like, that's something that I keep coming back to is it's, I just hate that she's playing in such a pandemic shortened season because I feel like it isn't really gonna give as great of an appreciation for how good the season is going to be for her when you're looking back in the history books, because obviously like neither of us were around for, let's just say Carrie Bascom. Mm-hmm. So I think we can look at Carrie Bascom and her stats and everything Gino said and go, okay, Carrie Bascom was a very good player for UConn UConn's first star, but I still don't feel like we have a great grasp of just how dominant she was. And if page doesn't end up in, let's say one of the top 10 scoring seasons this year for total or, anything like that, I feel like it can get, uh, maybe it'll get a little washed up, especially if she just is insane the next two, three years anyways. So it's just very disappointing that UConn has someone who I very much believe could be the greatest player in program history, and she's not going to get a full years regardless is of if she stays for all of them.
1: Yeah, agreed. I mean, I think everyone will remember how great she was and that she's going to be probably very clearly one of the program greats but it's it's just unfortunate that like her name isn't necessarily going to be etched in those record lists because she was chipped of you know of half of a season or whatever it is that they're short this season because of the pandemic so I think it's really unfortunate to just like how great she would have been so she like you said she had a sh- the way she's playing right now I mean maybe this will change with the way that you know, other players coming in and stuff, but she probably had a shot at that 3000 point mark and, you know, some of those other bigger records. So disappointing that that's going to be what stops her from getting there.
0: Right. And well, that's also a good point. Like Gino did say that she's carrying the load more than any other player he can remember. And there was a stat on ESPN. I think I meant to mention this earlier before I just got distracted, but uh, in the fifth or in the fourth quarter or overtime, last five minutes, she has scored 24 of UConn's 30 points in their three single-digit games, of Tennessee, Arkansas, and South Carolina. She's shot 9 of 10, and she's made 3 of 3, 4 of 4 from 3. So she's been ridiculous at the end of games. But also, the rest of the team has only scored 6 points in the last five minutes of games, and I think some of that can be excused by Paige being the one that's taking those shots at the end, but they should still have more than... Six points that is two three pointers that is such a small number of points in what I think amounts to 20 minutes, so basically an entire half of basketball over those three games, the last five minutes plus the overtime against South Carolina. And you kind of scored six points outside of Paige. So maybe going forward, like let's pretend next season, AZ is 75% of the player that Paige is this season, so she averages like 15 points a game. A lot of those points that Paige scores this year, I think are going to go to AZ. So that'll knock down on her point total a little more. And then Kristen Williams is more consistent next year. And then just everyone else, such a better cast around her next season. I think that could very easily kind of cut into those numbers, but she's still going to put up ridiculous numbers and even more so in the next few years, she's going to score at will. So I don't think it's going to affect her numbers a whole lot, but I think it may be like, if, she was on her own for all four years, which is something we've brought up with Caitlin Clark. Like if Paige Beckers was on her own, she would be scoring 35 points every single night. And she would shatter every single record at whatever program she's at.
1: Exactly. Exactly. At UConn. I mean, she's carrying the load a lot more than players typically do, but that's, that's not going to be the expectation and probably not going to be the case even next year. So it's a different situation, um, which is why I mean, someone like Brianna Stewart Doesn't get to. Right. Thirty, we're averaging 30 points a game because, well, one, that UConn team was just, like, during her years was so good that she basically never played a fourth quarter of basketball, so there's only so much time to score 30 points if you, you know, don't play more than 30 minutes a game. But also she had so
0: many pieces around her that she didn't need to be scoring 30 points a game. There's other people to help her out. Right. Brianna Stewart was so good that her stats were not good, which is absolutely <laughs> incredible because she just didn't have to play – that many minutes because UConn was up so much and because they had so much depth, she would be on the bench and UConn would still have a very, very good lineup out there. So it is very entertaining going through Brianna Stewart's stats because they really don't stack up very impressively. And if you're basing things completely off stats, like they they're good. I'm not saying they're bad by any means, but they're just not as impressive as you'd expect for a player who just from the eye test was as good as any college basketball player ever. So, yeah, obviously that also plays a factor into it.
1: Exactly, which is why, I mean, the context of the stats matters. Like when people say that Killen Clark is better because she averages 25 points a game, you have to consider the context.
0: I can't believe people are still attempting to make that argument <laughs> though. Like, come on. Yeah. She's very good, but
1: come on, (laughs) exactly. Like, have you turned on and watched five minutes of Paige Beggars playing?
0: (laughs) Like to repeat, she scored UConn's last thirteen points and didn't miss a shot in crunch time. It ridiculous, just ridiculous. So we're gonna jump around a little bit because we wanted to start with the South Carolina game. Obviously, getting our instant reactions to it last night. We did skip over the Marquette game, so we're gonna jump back to that one. Obviously, a much less exciting game than monday night but still a pretty i'd say revealing game about yukon gino was weirdly impressed with or happy with his team after the game which almost never happens the defense it was kind of a dress rehearsal for the defense for the type of performance they put on against south carolina it was just a very good overall performance
1: yeah, exactly. I think you know, there was a good overall performance, probably their best collective game of the season thus far. And then uh, I think, like you said, the def- the defense was really good. I mean, Arquette's not South Carolina, but they're likely a tournament team. So still a solid opponent. They put on a really good defensive performance and that
0: very much translated into Monday night when they really needed it. Right. And I think it's just important that the availability we had before the South Carolina game, one of the main points was that Gino felt like his team was not was in a very different place going to Arkansas, and he felt they built on that from that game and were more ready and mature and all of that to handle South Carolina, which I think we saw on Monday night. But it doesn't necessarily start with Marquette, but it felt like it all came together at Marquette. And I think something that we have to use a lot because of how many blowouts they have is that it's good to see UConn doing things that they need to, even if the opponent isn't there, because it's better that they do it against a bad opponent than not doing it. And Marquette isn't a bad opponent. Marquette is a very solid Big East team, even if they're not at UConn's level. I think it's it was still impressive, even having the context of the South Carolina game as we talk about it. I think it was still an impressive win for them. And it kind of showed that, this team is different than what we saw at Arkansas. And I think a lot of that also kind of stems from Nika Mule, who has been just absolutely on fire since, if not that Arkansas game, the DePaul game after. She's been really, really good.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's not, she doesn't score a lot. She still doesn't score a lot, but her assists and her rebounds and just her defensive energy has been fantastic. I mean, we talked about it in the South Carolina game, but it was especially true against Marquette as well. I mean, she finishes the game with nine assists, Um, a handful of those are to Paige and help Paige be better. I mean, Paige reaches 30 points on this one again, too, and then seven rebounds. But I think the biggest thing for me with Nika has been her defense and the energy that she brings on the defensive end is something this team really needed and has definitely helped
0: them out. So, yeah, it's a little tough to talk about a Big East game like that, especially one that UConn won pretty easily, having already seen them play Mm -hmm. against South Carolina, but such is life. We're also recording this on Tuesday. We normally record things on Wednesdays. It's better for everyone and the listeners to not do this immediately after I get home from Gamble and try and edit it in the same night. So we don't have a ton to say about Seton Hall just because most people are probably going to listen to this, we figure, after the Seton Hall game happens. But I think just a couple interesting things to note. Andre Espinoza, hunter the former UConn player in that 2017 class that completely flopped for you on the top ranked class not to get off on too much of a tangent but (laughs) just with this year's class from that first umass lowell game you could see the talent that each player had even i would say pf gabriel like pf gabriel has played really only garbage time this season but you can see what the coaches see in her she's obviously huge i think i'd like to see her stand next to olivia nelson adota but she's definitely a stronger player than nelson adota even if she's the same height She's a very good rebounder, it appears. I think she's probably solid on defense and it's her offense that's a work in progress. And Mira McLean, obviously we, it's very easy to see what she can do, even if she doesn't get a whole lot of minutes. And then obviously Paige, and Nika have, we don't need to say too much more about them. The 2017 class, to say the least, it was not the same vibe early in their career. And that's kind of how things panned out, even with Megan Walker. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yep it's definitely a very different vibe which is obviously a good thing because we all know that caught did not i mean, walker played out the best of all but still leaves early and um i mean just never i feel like fully lives up to that number one recruit status that she was looking like, an all american last season but I don't, like, I don't know if this is bad to say but i feel like it was just like an underwhelming all-american season like i think it's because like when you kind of played their big game she kind of disappeared so yeah she averages like 20 points a game or whatever but she didn't really show up for them in the big moments and just never kind of lived up to being that number one recruit in that highly ranked class and then like the rest of the class transferred so it's kind of all fizzled out clearly.
0: Right, so she'll be coming back with Seton Hall. She's actually been doing very well for Seton Hall. She's averaging twenty one point one points per game, which is exactly I was how many pages averaging. She's had at least eighteen points in all but her first two games, so she's been one of Seton Hall's better players. And it's kind of funny that she would only be in her normal senior year. If she didn't. I I don't know what year she actually is. But she would be a senior this year. And none of her teammates that she came in with are on the team anymore. Megan Walker obviously graduated early, or not graduated early, left for the WNBA early. And then Michaela Coombs transferred to Georgia. Lexi Gordon transferred to Texas Tech. And obviously, Andre initially left for Mississippi State. That'll be interesting. I think Cena Halls also has a, or is at least going to be in contention to be the second best team in the Big East. I think. There's probably a pretty decent possibility that five Big East teams get into the NCAA tournament, right? UConn, Marquette, Villanova, Seton Hall, and DePaul. I feel like Seton Hall is kind of dinged because they had that bad loss to Albany. Yeah, but that seemed like a, more of a COVID loss than anything. And then also they're a different team with Espinosa Hunter. So I think Seton Hall is probably going to get in. I think I don't think UConn's going to have trouble with them, but I think there'll be a nice little test for UConn. And I'll, I'm interested to see how their defense performs, considering Lauren Park Lane went off for 29 in the last game against them. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle her. I'm very curious to see what type of game Andrea Espinoza hunter has, if she has any negative feelings still towards UConn for all or whatever unfolded. And just if maybe she tries to make a statement or tries to play too hard or anything like that. I don't know. I, I, I'm interested to see that. Um, so, I, I think it'll be an interesting game, even if it's not necessarily going to be a competitive one.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the Espinosa Hunter story, yeah, it's just a little bit of fun to this, to try to see how that matchup all goes and obviously coming back and seeing what that's like. And then like you said, Lauren Park Lane scored a lot of points against them in that first matchup. And we've definitely seen some improvements in Yukon's defense since then. So excited to see kind of how that looks against this team.
0: Right. And then, you kind of all have one day off and then they play Georgetown who's one of the worst teams in the conference. So just because I was curious and wanted to look it up, I pulled up her hoop stats and wanted to compare where the AAC is in women's basketball this year to the big East. And I think it's pretty obvious kind of where it stands. So Georgetown is out of every team in that conference, in both conferences is second worst behind only Butler. So I think from having seen this, it kind of lines up with what we've said in that the best team, there's a better middle-class, the better teams are better. The bad teams are still bad. So UConn is the number one team, shockingly, of everyone. UConn, (laughs) according to her hoop stats rating, is the best team in the country. And barring a total and utter upset of the millennium, they're going to be the number one team in the country in the AP poll on Monday. South Florida is the number two team in that rating. And her hoop stats has them actually as a clear number two. Then the next five teams are all big East teams. I can't count the next four teams. It's Marquette, Villanova, Seton Hall, and DePaul in that order. And then after that, it's Tulane, Houston, UCF. Then flips back to the big East, St. John's Creighton Providence. And then I feel like the cutoff line right here is kind of right around Creighton Providence where those teams are at least respectable and then the rest are all bottom fillers. So just to kind of fill out the rest after Providence, it's Memphis, Xavier, Wichita state, East Carolina, Tulsa, temple, Cincinnati, SMU, Georgetown, Butler. And can I just say this? It feels terrible to say those schools names again, but (laughs) like, I think it just kind of shows that, the top four teams beside UConn and the big East are better than pretty much everyone else in the American besides South Florida. And as we know, South Florida never gave UConn much trouble. And then there is that second tier of the AAC, but it's really not that much drastically better than the St. John's Creighton's providences of the world. So even if it's not super, visible that UConn is in a much better conference. I mean, playing DePaul two times a year is worth it alone and there's no other powerhouse. It's still a better conference, pretty comfortably.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think, I mean, the bottom is still the bottom and it's not great, but there's, there's definitely a significant uptick in the amount of at least conference teams. Like I don't expect, you know, DePaul or Seton Hall to beat UConn, but are at least interesting-ish games. <laughs> I mean, all the games are interesting, but like they're at least opponents that bring a little bit of something that's going to challenge UConn. They might make tournament, you know, they're, they're giving them something that they're going to see in March. They see, consistently put two teams, if that, in the tournament, I feel like. So uh, it's, it's definitely a step up.
0: I also think... DePaul, nonwithstanding, like with full respect to Doug Burrell, I think he's a very good coach, but I just have a very hard time ever seeing DePaul, at least on a consistent basis, ever becoming like a top 10 team. They just always seem like they're between like number 15 and number 25. And I think some of that is the way they play, but maybe in the coming years, they'll have a year where they vault into the top 10 and make a run to the final four or something. But I feel like sustaining success might be a little tough for them, but I can very easily see Marquette Villanova, Seton Hall, especially Seton Hall. I really, really like Tony Bazella as a coach and as a person. He's great. I could see any of those three programs with UConn now in it being the ones that we talked about that can take a step. And even if they're not a national power, which is such a tough thing to do, there's only so many, but if they could just start to become like DePaul where they get into the top 25 consistently And maybe every few years, they can have a team that makes UConn sweat. I think those are very realistic goals for those teams. And I don't think that's something that any team in the American could ever do, even South Florida. I mean, Jose Fernandez, great coach, also have a ton of respect for him, but he's just never gotten his program to that level where it can compete with UConn. It can compete realistically in the NCAA tournament to get to a final four. So just the ceiling is so much higher in the Big East too.
1: Yeah, I especially agree with that. I think Marquette really has potential there too. They've got a young coach and Megan Guffey. They had two draft classes ago, and Natasha Heideman, that plays for the Sun now, is on their roster. So they've had some kind of recent success and it's definitely opportunity to build on that. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, yeah, like you said, I think there's a handful of teams here that have got potential to pick up a big recruit. Out of make a, a little bit of a statement in the biggest.
0: That's going to do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. Thanks to everyone for listening. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Read the Yukon blog and Store Central. Also, subscribe to the Yukon Women's Basketball Weekly. You can follow Megan on Twitter at Megan Gower. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel V. Connolly. Megan, what do you got to close us out? Keep staying safe. Wear a mask. And Paige Becker's is good at basketball. Yeah,
1: I do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That'll do it from us.